there is a little bit of uncertainty here. Um, not whether Gizmodo is a journalism organization or not whether Chen is a journalist. Um, uh, th- there's a question about how absolute the shield law is in California. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from a very sunny and finally warm Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, where we're just happy to have water this week. Uh, I read a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. And I read a blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Clio, web-based practice management software for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, Craig, there's been uh, much ado over the last uh, week or two over uh, an incident involving the release, uh, the unintended release of a prototype version of the uh, iPhone 4G. The story's been covered by uh, everybody from uh, the Nick Bilton, the technology writer, reporter for the New York Times, to uh, to uh, technology bloggers and mainstream media all over the place. Uh, primarily, uh, of course, uh, the story broke at gizmodo.com where uh, after an unknown uh, individual uh, claimed uh, that an iPhone was left behind in a bar in Redwood City, California. And by the next morning, the uh, the person uh, who found that phone realized that it, it wasn't your typical iPhone and it appeared to be perhaps... Uh, Something different. Uh, somehow, eventually, that iPhone ended up in the hands of uh, Gizmodo.com, where they later indicated they actually paid uh, to obtain this this phone. It turned out to be uh, what everybody is saying is a, is a prototype for the next generation, the iPhone 4G. Uh, blogger and editor Jason Chan at Gizmodo uh, posted uh, about the prototype and also the, the backstory of how they came to have it. Well, Bob, uh, news in the tech world, as you know, travels very fast. A search warrant was almost immediately issued, which eventually led to the search of Jason Chen's home and computer. The COO of Gawker, who is Gabby Derbyshire, he claims that the search warrant issued to remove the computers was invalid under Section 1524G of the California Penal Code, and Chen's rights as a journalist were violated. Well, this is uh, uh, a uh, a potpourri, I guess, for lawyers. There's so many different legal issues raised out of this this one incident. Uh, questions of whether Gizmodo and Jason Chen should be protected by the journalist shield law, protected by any other California laws. Questions about the search warrant and and the search of his home and the seizure of his computer. Questions about criminal charges, possibly. Uh, so today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to try and sort through some of this stuff. Well, to help us do that, our guest today is Sam Bayard. He is the assistant director of Citizen Media Law Project, a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society, and a lecturer on law in the LLM program at Harvard Law School. He blogs regularly on media law and IP issues of importance to non-traditional journalists and bloggers. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Sam. Thanks for having me. 
And also joining us today is Eric Goldman. Uh, Eric is Associate Professor of Law and Director of the High Tech Law Institute at Santa Clara University School of Law. Before he became a full-time academic in 2002, he practiced internet law for eight years in the Silicon Valley. His research and teaching focuses on internet, intellectual property, and marketing law topics. And he blogs about all of those things at uh, one of my favorite blogs, the Technology and Marketing Law blog, which you can find at blog.ericgoldman.org. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Eric Goldman. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, well, we've given uh, we've given some some background on this, but but Sam, I, I wonder if there's uh, any, anything else uh, you wanted to add to that uh, in terms of uh, setting the stage for some of the legal issues here. Sure, I, mean, I think you guys did a pretty thorough job. The one thing I might add, um, and 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 with the caveat that this is coming from Gizmodo's sort of side of the facts, but um, some of their posts on the website did detail a little bit more about um, how the phone was found, um, that this unknown individual who found the phone apparently did try to give it back to Apple at some point, um, um, may have made phone calls to Apple saying, hey, you know, I got this thing, um, what, do we, what, do, what do I do with it? And apparently, he was, they didn't take him seriously. He didn't really get anywhere with that. And then it was subsequently that he uh, ended up uh, providing it to Gizmodo. But of course, um, the facts aren't totally clear in this regard. Of course, the other thing we didn't say there is that Apple is so notoriously uh, protective uh, of its privacy and, and, of, and of new products in development that that's uh, part of what makes this, this story so interesting, mm -hmm. perhaps. Mm -hmm. Eric, do you have any thoughts on that? Or? Uh, no, I, I found this case so confusing because there's so many moving parts to it. Um, you know, we got questions at every stage of the facts. Um, how did the phone get out of Apple's building? Um, how was it found? Um, what happened to it once it was found? Um, exactly what were the conversations between um, uh, the finders and or uh, their agents and um, uh, Gizmodo? And then, um, you know, what exactly uh, are Gizmodo's, uh, what's Gizmodo's status? Um, in um, uh, publishing the information. And so um, it's such a moving and complicated story that it's a little hard for me to keep all the different issues straight. And I think that's part of what we'll explore today. Do you think that Chen is legally protected as a journalist? I mean, on the Gizmodo site, there's kind of a quip that says something to the effect of if we commit acts of journalism, it's by accident. Yeah, obviously, uh, that type of um, tongue-in-cheek remark is not the most helpful thing uh, towards claiming journalist status. But from my perspective, and I'm interested in Sam's thoughts, although I guess I'm guessing we come from the same place. Um, this really isn't even in doubt. Um, you know, whatever journalism means, however it's been stretched in the internet age, um, it seems, to, from my perspective, clear and really not controvertible that. Chen was a journalist for all relevant purposes under um, uh, the various statutes or legal tests. Yeah, I have to agree with Eric completely on that. Wherever that line is, and it certainly can be fuzzy, uh, at least in many states, um, there's a little bit more clarity in California than there 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 are in other states. But wherever the line is, I would say Gizmodo falls comfortably within the line uh, based on the sort of clear purpose uh, of disseminating uh, you know, current events and information to the public, um, the frequency of the publication. Uh, the permanent uh, sort of having a permanent URL where you you know readers go day after day after day to get this information, um, uh, they they certainly fit uh, within the definition um, that the California courts have have so far 
um, uh, set forth in, in deciding who gets protected by the shield law. Well, so what are the implications of that? What is it? What would it mean uh, in this case for Gizmodo or or for this reporter, or this blogger, to be protected by the shield law? Um, well, I, as Eric said, there are a lot of moving parts here. So, <laughs> so one of the one of the questions that that this implicates is whether the search warrant was invalid itself automatically um, under California Penal Code fifteen twenty four G, because it essentially says. Uh, no warrant shall issue for any item or items described in Section 1070 of the Evidence Code. And Section 1070 of the Evidence Code is one of the operative uh, provisions of the shield law. Um, so the, the idea being a warrant uh, uh, issued for materials that are covered by the shield law uh, would be invalid. And, and that's one of Gawker's sort of, that's, that's, they're coming out of the gate with that argument, um, obviously. An, another level would be, um, we can put aside whether the warrant was was valid. What if eventually this goes further? Uh, what would happen in proceedings? Um, would Chen be able to shut down any inquiry into who the source was or any of the details about their discussions, um, uh, any unpublished information he gathered in the course of his news gathering? So it, it could also come up uh, as a shield to against the government um, gathering information in, a, in an eventual prosecution uh, or what have you. Sam, what do you think about a potential um, sword uh, action here? Do you think there's a possibility that there's a affirmative cause of action for Chen or Gizmodo uh, to 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 sue who? To sue the government for an improper um, search. I I, this, I saw I saw some, a mention of this. Um, the Gizmodo's lawyer had mentioned this as a possibility. Um, I, I think if the if the search was invalid under 1524G and the government. Um, so the government's in unlawful possession of the uh, of the computers and the other disks and whatnot. Um, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to sue for some sort of order to, to, or injunction or order to have have the materials returned. Yeah, just to step back then, right? So you know, the question of what does it mean to be a journalist here comes up, um, and all the things Sam said, as well as possibly even if there is an affirmative cause of action, um, that that you know cross current of um, you know what rights do we afford to journalists? Um, can come up as a shield, as a sword, um, and in the uh, suppression of evidence. And one one further thing I would add is uh, there is a little bit of uncertainty here, um, not whether Gizmodo is a journalism organization or not whether Chen is a journalist. Um, uh, th there's a question about how absolute the shield law is in California um, in various circumstances. So in a civil case, when a third party is seeking information from a journalist, it's an absolute privilege. Um, in a criminal case uh, where a prosecutor is seeking information from a journalist and the journalist is, is just a third party witness, not the not the you know the target of the um, criminal case, it's an absolute privilege. Uh, when a criminal defendant seeks information from a journalist um, in a criminal case, then there's a balancing test. The, the question that's a little harder to answer is what happens when the journalist, him or herself, is the defendant in a criminal case? Um, and I've seen a little some some commentary out there. Uh, there was a CNET article. Uh, there was, there was citing an appellate case from back in the 70s, uh, saying that potentially um, there wouldn't be any protection under the Shield Law if the journalist is the target of the criminal investigation. But I don't think it's that clear.
And, and this is where I think um, you know things get um, very uh, difficult to discuss with precision. Mm-hmm. Uh, early, uh, we're still trying to figure out how how all this fits together. So, you know, from my perspective, I'm I'm still not even sure how all these categorizations make a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems. I mean, I know that as a general rule, if a journalist say comes into possession of information that was perhaps uh, obtained illicitly, uh, the the journalist. Uh, has the right to use that information provided you know provided the journalist wasn't the person who did the illicit obtaining uh you know if grand jury information gets leaked and a journalist reports it uh, they're protected uh, under the first amendment to do that sure uh, so oh. in, but in this case we're talking not just about information but about an item i mean it, it, how does that make this case different at, at all and, and is that what the basis of the criminal investigation would be and I'm sorry, I, I don't want to clarify. I'm sorry if my last remarks weren't super sharp. Um, we're still waiting to even figure out who the defendants are in the government's sure. perspective criminal enforcement actions. They haven't told us, so we don't know if Gizmodo or Chen are ever going to be named as criminal defendants. Um, it's very possible they never will be, um, at which point then, you know, everything that Sam said about what happens when the journalist is also potentially uh, part of the criminal activity doesn't even apply here. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know, we have a very key missing fact there about who the government thinks is the criminal here, if anyone. And until we know that, we're we actually sort of shooting in the dark about some of the application of these laws. But wouldn't the probable cause standard mean that they would have probable cause to think that uh, the, the the subject of, of the search warrant was was somehow involved in illegal activity, criminal activity? I think the search warrant did indicate they believed that the materials they were seizing had been used in the commission of a felony. Um, well, let's let's take just, a look. Yeah, let me, let me interrupt you for just a second because it seems like we need to kind of have a foundational question answered here, and that's what's the law that relates to property? I mean, when you lose property, don't you abandon it? And isn't there a difference between whether it's lost on the floor, lost on a chair, lost on a table, and what if assuming that the person who found it made an attempt to return it to Apple, which I understand resulted in him getting a uh, some type of a uh, resolution ticket number to, to try and return it. What's the basic elements of whether this is actually stolen given those parameters or whether it was abandoned or lost? Sure. There's um uh, there are two. California Penal Code provisions, and, and I'm not, I haven't looked at this in other states, but I was kind of surprised to hear that the law is the way it is in California. So, um, one provision is California Penal Code Section 485, um, and it, it essentially says one who finds lost property under circumstances where you would have knowledge uh, or a means of inquiring about who the true owner is, um, and then who uh, quote appropriate such property to his own use or to the use of another purpose or person not entitled thereto um, unquote uh, is guilty of theft essentially so you could read this situation where you're an innocent finder uh, and you find uh, an item but you have good reason to know that it belongs to someone else and you even have reason to be able to inquire specifically with that person uh, and then you do something inconsistent with that person's ownership um, and and that could constitute theft under this provision. And and you would see the, the idea being here by selling the phone to Gizmodo, the finder might have um, might have done something that's inconsistent with Apple's ownership, um, appropriating it to the use of someone not entitled to it. Now, the second um, 
the second California law that, that relates to this, and this relates to your question about Gizmodo uh, and, 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 and how, as a journalism organization, um, they could be implicated for re- receiving the phone and then publishing information about it. Um, Penal Code 496 is essentially a, a receipt of stolen property um, type statute uh, saying if you knowingly uh, receive any property that you know has been stolen or obtained in a matter uh, in a manner that um, constitutes theft, then you could be guilty of the crime of stealing uh, of receiving stolen property. And so it kind of dovetails. Uh, with this original provision saying a finder on some circumstances could be guilty of theft just by keeping the phone. And then if Gizmodo had knowledge about all these details, again, these are things we don't know, um, you know, that I think this is where the theory is about some violation of the criminal laws. I would add, um, I'm not an expert in the uh, property question, um, but uh, I, I was doing a little poking around, and my understanding is that uh, the finder having an obligation to um, try and uh, return the property is a very rarely used provision here. So uh, we're dealing with a somewhat obscure statute that yeah. um, certainly caught some of us by surprise that it was even on the book. As sure. said. It's just not something that we're used to seeing. And then one of the interesting sort of academic Things here is you, it, the issue generally in criminal law about um, whether knowledge of the law is a defense, uh, and usually the, you know, the sort of black letter or like first-year law school answer is you know ignorance of the law is not a defense. But this is, this is a situation where it seems like it's kind of an unjust result. It's this very obscure uh, provision that's somewhat inconsistent with our sort of common sense understanding of what theft is, and yet you have people potentially getting into some hot water because of perhaps ignorance that this law. Even existed, and I agree with that. I mean, I would think that if the law were broadly applied, um, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you find five bucks on the street, you know, um, you're eligible for criminal prosecution unless you jump through the requisite hoops. That's just not the way that um, most of us behave in a civil society. So, um, you know, we have a little bit of a prosecutorial discretion question here. Yeah, I was just going to mention that the, the, the Gizmodo account of this uh, says that the person who found the phone uh, the next morning, it, you know, it, it says that he reached for his phone and called a lot of Apple numbers and tried to mm-hmm. find someone who was at least willing to transfer his call to the right person without luck. It said that the best he got out of this was a ticket number uh, and that his ticket seemed never to move uh, up the uh, – up the uh, up to the callback uh, level, and and he never heard back from anybody at Apple, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks. So at least according to this account of it, he he certainly attempted to return the phone or to to reach somebody at Apple to talk to them about it. And notice if that's true, uh, if that ends up being the true statement, then everything else after that, all the subsequent behavior, all the subsequent uh, criticism, all drops away, and we've got you know now a very problematic government search. The only thing I would add, though, is that. Um Again, if you had superhuman knowledge of obscure California law, um, there's a provision in the civil law about lost and found items that if you can't contact the true owner or you don't know where the true owner is, you have an obligation as a finder to turn the um, to turn the found object over to the local police. 
<laughs> so, I mean, again, you're, you're perfectly right about the prosecutorial uh, discretion uh, point. But again, I, I guess the, 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 the DA or whoever could argue, well, you know, it's still, even if he tried to return it, he had an obligation to turn it over to the police, not to go sell it uh, to, to a highest bidder. And that's something that I've been wondering about here. And I don't have a good answer because um, and during some of the reports about this, there was a discussion that um, if this had been structured in a different form, there might have been a different legal analysis. So if instead of um, the finder selling the object, it had been some kind of exclusive look with the idea that the object would be returned back to the finder, um, I've read some suggestions that that would be a completely different legal analysis. So, you know, uh, going back again to uh, uh, some of the structure, uh, the things we don't know, uh, you know, it's not clear to me why it was structured as a sale as opposed to something else, um, particularly because Gizmodo really didn't have any need for the object once they had written up their story. There's an odd little technology twist to this whole thing also, I suppose, which is just that this phone was equipped uh, it, it, with the mobile me service, which can identify, uh, I'm not sure how precisely, but somewhat precisely the location of a lost iPhone. And this, this phone, in fact, was shut down uh, or bricked using that uh, mm. mobile me service. So in, in theory, uh, Apple could have found it if they wanted to. Eric, do you have anything on that? Uh, no, although I, I've read some reports that I haven't understood about the idea that Apple was actually sending people around in uh, the neighborhood looking for the guy very shortly after it. And so, I, I, you know, it may be that there was even more effort to try and uh, diligence this. Well, yeah, I, I didn't really I, understand those reports, though. So. I've heard the same reports, or I've read the same reports, that some Apple representatives can't actually have gone to the finder's home and asked him if they could search the the home. And, but again, it's sketchy. Well, gentlemen, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about the legal battle ahead. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. 
or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are joined by Sam Bayard, Assistant Director of the Citizen Media Law Project, and Eric Goldman, Director of the High Tech Law Institute at Santa Clara University School of Law. And uh, we are talking about the uh, now infamous uh, lost and recovered uh, iPhone uh, and uh, some of the legal implications of all of that. Uh, I guess one question I was wondering about, does does the fact that, that Gizmodo paid for this information play into this legally at all? I mean, Eric, do you see that as, as an issue uh, at all in this case, as opposed to just obtaining the uh, the information through reporting and and uh, and uh, shoe leather. Well, as I mentioned, um, you know, if they had structured the payment in a different fashion, that might have had some legal consequence. And again, that may be an area where we get some more information as uh, everyone starts uh, revealing their respective positions. Um, but from my perspective, the fact that um, Gizmodo paid uh, to uh, for the phone um, is not legally consequential, but it raises some questions about blogger and journalistic ethics. Um, many journalists would not have paid for the phone, um, and in fact, would not have paid for the story whatsoever. Um, and it's not to say that um, I think that's required. Um, I think there have been some some good journalistic stories that have broken because uh, information has been paid for. Um, but I'm not sure that's universally um, something that everyone agrees upon. And I think that's an area where um, I'm hoping that this event will spark some greater discussion into what are our standards as bloggers slash journalists? What are the things we'll do and what are the things we won't? Yeah, I agree with Eric that uh, I'm not sure that it has any real legal consequences because the uh, receipt of stolen property statute that might be at issue um, that doesn't require uh, purchasing, and I don't think it should have any bearing on the shield law. It's not like uh, if you violate some uh, idea of good journalistic ethics, you somehow lose the shield law. Um, but it, but it is it does raise interesting ethical questions about uh, what good online journalism uh, is or should be. How, how does Apple's motive play into this? I mean, there's been some rampant speculation about whether this is simply a publicity stunt uh, designed to garner attention for the new phone that's coming out for Apple and, and get the uh, so-called geeks talking about it and then into mainstream society. What ultimate effect would Apple's motivation have if it turns out that they were, in fact, using this as a publicity stunt? What effect would that have on Chan and on the person that actually found it? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Good question. Let, let me Don't everybody one, answer at once. One, one crack at that, um, which is uh, at that point that we might actually, again, wonder about the core question of whether or not it was uh, stolen property, if in fact it was intended to be leaked out. Um, so, you know, I think that would be uh, a that could very well be a dispositive fact. If true, I would be surprised if that's true. But I'm going to change your your question around a little bit. The thing, one of the many questions that I cannot understand is how that phone left Apple's facility. Um, Apple's notoriously secretive about their efforts, and there has to have been a very rigorous checkout process for uh, anything like this. So I'm wondering why that phone walked out the door in the first place. And that, I think, may be what is fueling 
fueling some of these uh, uh, conspiracy um, uh, speculation. Um, but I need, I would like to know the answer, how that phone got out the door in the first place. Do you think um, Do you think there's any bearing on, or has any bearing on that question that the phone was disguised to be, perhaps to to be used out in the general population? I mean, it seems like the very idea of having the phone disguised as the 3G rather than the new prototype might have been sort of an intentional thing. Sort of let, let's have our engineers go out there and use it in the world. To what end? I'm not sure. And to what end at a bar in Redwood City? You know, um, if you're going to go do a field test, um, I would think that there's other ways to structure it that reduce the risk of it being lost. Um, so, but those are all the, some of the questions that we'd like to know because that goes very much to this issue about what is this notion of theft? And when this guy tried to call Apple and didn't get a response back, why didn't he get a response back? Um, if they knew that they had this rogue phone that was on, in the wild and somebody's calling them up somewhere else and saying, I got this phone and I'd like to know if uh, you want it. It seems to me something's going on there that really needs explaining. Well, especially, I mean, Gizmodo, when they tried to reach the guy, uh, had had no trouble whatsoever. Uh, Maybe because they're Gizmodo. I mean, mean, that might have gotten them through a little bit more quickly, but uh, in their account of it, when when they tried to call uh, the engineer who lost the phone, uh, they they reached him uh, first try. (laughs) So... Uh, I don't. I don't know what that says about all that, but uh, uh, it, it, there's certainly a lot of questions about this, as you say. Well, and and one thing to think about is whether this is uh, how Apple has sort of dealt with the situation by by. Um, Perhaps claiming to the uh, authorities that this was theft, or you know, asserting that it was a theft, um, has this hurt them in a PR uh, fashion, uh, or are they going to come out of this you know, neutral? Um, is this a good, bad thing? Probably a bad thing, it seems. I, I, you know, Apple is so notoriously secretive about their efforts um, that I'm just still flummoxed by the idea that they had such a major security breach that this phone is uh, out in the wild when they don't want that. That just is so so discordant with the way that they normally operate their business. Um, but their response to it, I think, has been, you know, um, both uh, continuing to be secretive, not really sharing information about what's going on, uh, except when they think it benefits them. And uh, the idea that they would pick up the phone to um, try and get the uh, the local cops to uh, enforce uh, their rights here um, just seems odd to me. It's not inconsistent with their past behavior, but I guess to what end? They already have the phone back. What what more are they hoping is a win from bringing a criminal prosecution here? Do we, do we know that? Do we know that Apple had anything to do with getting the police uh, involved here? Uh, I, the San Jose Mercury News has reported that, um, so I'm I'm taking that as uh, uh, a statement of truth. I, I in fact have not independently confirmed it. Well, gentlemen, we, we we've just about uh, reached the end of our program, so it's time to get uh, wrap up and get your final thoughts, as well as your contact information. And one of the things that we have not discussed that I think would be worthwhile to include in your final thoughts, if you've got a moment, is what's what ramifications are there for a civil action between Apple and Gizmodo, and if there is a, the potential for a civil action. Why hasn't Apple already pursued it? I'm sorry, who's suing? Is Gizmodo suing Apple or is Apple suing Gizmodo? Apple suing Gizmodo. Uh, I'm sorry, just check it there again. It's not entirely clear who's in the right here. Um, Let me offer up some some final thoughts. Um, 
you know, um, from my perspective, um, some of these issues about, um, uh, you know, uh, what is the obligations of a finder of personal property to try and uh, find the owner, um, it's really not that interesting. Um, what really is interesting to me is this, these questions about what are bloggers doing um, to break news, um, and uh, what are we as a blogger industry going to do to set up uh, some self-policing uh um, efforts or some norms in our community about the right things we're going to do to make sure that what we're publishing is credible and consistent with good journalistic practices. Um, so, from my perspective, the key thing here is, um, uh, you know, really talking about did, did Gizmodo make the right set of calls all along the way? Um, and what I don't like is I think there's a certain implicit statement in uh, Gizmodo's um, uh, defenses. One, you know, uh, we're bloggers, we move fast, um, to which is never a good answer to me. And the other is uh, that, you know, we knew we were going to get a lot of traffic here, so everything kind of falls into place knowing that we want this that payoff. And, and that's something I think, you know, it's a little, bit, a little bit hard for me to rally behind the Gizmodo flag if those are the things that they're going to be trying to advance. But I hope we have that discussion in our community. As for a lawsuit against Apple versus Gizmodo, I don't know what would happen. Gizmodo's already returned the phone. Um, if they're going to sue over trade secrets, God bless them. Um, <laughs> I think that would be a very tough claim to win. Um, so I'm not sure what left is uh, for Apple to sue. Um, once again, uh, I think I have to agree with Eric, especially on the trade secrets point. I, I don't see that there's much in terms of a civil lawsuit for trade secrets. There, there's as far as I know, there aren't any civil proceedings that go along with this sort of receipt of stolen property thing, which is a total, is completely criminal uh, law context. Um, in terms of the sort of larger picture or wrapping up. Um, my the, the part about this I think is interesting um, is uh, sort of the, the question of um, the process that the police um, used to sort of initiate to, to initiate the investigation, uh, the, the the worrisome uh, character of the of sort of busting into Jen, uh, Jason Chen's home, um, uh, disregarding uh, that space uh, as a newsroom uh, space in some ways. You know, the, again, the, the facts are. There's a little bit of fuzziness here, and there are some claims that they evaluated the shield law uh, before uh, taking this pretty drastic step, um, uh, and then um, have now sort of had second thoughts or recanted a little bit now that Gawker has pushed back. Um, I find that a little remarkable. Um, uh, at the very least, I think there was a failure to really dig into the question of whether um, uh, Gizmodo and Chen were uh, journalists uh, protected by the Shield Law and therefore protected by this uh, no warrant provision. Um, uh, and it's worrisome. Uh, it's worrisome on a big picture level because uh, what we don't really want is the police making decisions about who's a journalist and who's not, uh, grabbing a ton of uh, digital information uh, and then uh, basically having uh, the liberty to sift through a lot of sensitive um, uh, news gathering material. Some of it are probably most of it. It has nothing at all to do with this criminal investigation. Uh, so I really think the procedural uh, side of this was, was the most worrisome um, uh, aspect. And I'm glad to see at least that the police are responding now uh, and promising uh, to sort of segregate uh, some, of the, some of the information. But again, the, the facts there aren't totally clear. And how can our listeners reach you? Ah, um, I can be reached uh, th uh, through email. Uh, it's smb as in boy, A-Y-A-R-D as in dog at cyber 
www.law.harvard.edu. And Eric, your contact information, please. Um, uh, people are free, feel feel free to email me at egoldman at gmail dot com or uh, visit um, the website www.ericgoldman.org. Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the show today. And that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Let me add my thanks to both of our guests. And uh, for our listeners, let me add a reminder that all of our shows are now available for CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center, which you can reach at the LegalTalkNetwork.com uh, and click on uh, West Legal Ed Center there. We're also, of course, in the iTunes library as well. So thanks a lot to our guests. And Craig, uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. We'll see you then, Bob. Take care. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.